Margaret and I have just returned from the Philippines. Uh, we went in 1970. 1978, we were asked to help a conservative Baptist pastor plant a church among the rich. Now, this was interesting for us because we worked with the poor. city of Manila is around 20 million people. 40% live in poverty. And probably 5% are extremely wealthy. And, uh, but they were being unreached with the gospel. And so uh, we began, we sold tickets to a, a banquet. And we had uh, about 125 people come for the banquet. The rich paid to hear the gospel. Uh, they came to this uh, banquet we had. We had it in a country club. Later, where one of the presidents uh, was, uh, uh, became, uh, took the pledge for the becoming the president. And, and it was quite a famous uh, country club. And we had this banquet. And we shared the gospel. We had a, a, an Indian evangelist who was visiting the Philippines. And, and all these rich people wanted to come and hear this Indian. And uh, his name was Abraham. And we had a Campus Crusade for Christ uh, singing group. And they sang. And, well, 25 people came to faith in Christ that night. The next day, we started church with 35 people. And this was one of the churches that we spoke in when we were there. It's now running about 8,000 people on a Sunday morning, I mean, a, over the weekend. And I made a mistake in the first service. I know Philippine culture. Margaret and I worked there, you know, being involved in the Philippines for over 40 years. And I thought I knew the culture, and I would not uh, break a cultural thing, but I made a mistake in the first service. In the introduction, I happened to meet, say that so good to come back to the Philippines. I missed the Filipino food and so forth. And I said one of the first things I did was go down to Tropical Hut. Now, Tropical Hut is a grocery store, chain of grocery stores in the Philippines, and they have a little diner in most of them. And they serve certain foods, like hamburgers and french fries. And in those days, that was the only place you could get a hamburger. It was not quite like Burger King or McDonald's. But they called it a hamburger. And for some reason, I really liked it. No other American missionary likes it, but I liked it. And so I just simply said, at the beginning of my message, as a way of introduction, I said, good to be back. One of the first things I did, go down to a tropical hut and have the classic hamburger, and that's a kind of a mushy meat kind of a thing. It's got cucumbers, didn't have lettuce or pickles or anything, has a cucumber and so forth. Well, I simply said how I like the classical hut hamburger. That was at the 8 o'clock service. Between, the, between it finishes at 9.30, the next service is at 10.30. Between 8.30 and 9.30, I received about 14 hamburgers. <laughs> These wealthy people sent out their drivers and their, their assistants to Tropical Hut and they're buying all these hamburgers. I had so many hamburgers, I was giving them out to all the people, workers at the church and everything. So it's, it's, one, it's something. But we had such an enjoyable time in the Philippines. Even though we were in some of these large churches, it was wonderful to work during the week with the poor, see our sons, Robbie's work, visit a, uh, a Christmas party for a uh, Three kids, as they celebrated uh, the, the, the gospel, the, the birth of Christ, and, and see some of these kids come to faith in Christ and to feed them and, and so forth. It was that. By the way, some of you helped pay for that Christmas party. We had parties for over 1,000 of these kids on the street, so thank you very much. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We call this the gospel and the resurrection chapter. And to set the context, we'll read from verse 50 to 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. The Apostle Paul, as he finishes this chapter, he says, Now I say this, brethren. Now, by the way, whenever you read that in the scripture, that also means you women. Sisters, brethren, sisters, the body of Christ. Now I say this, brethren. That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Imperishable. That's uncorruptible. You know, the decaying body. It's imperishable. It's not corruptible anymore. Imperishable. But will be changed. Verse 53. But this perishable must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on this imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that a wonderful verse? You know, we seem to joke at funerals, don't we? Kind of make it, kind of, kind of have little funny things going on. But you know what? Death is, death is an enemy. And we, we, it's the last enemy. But praise God, we have victory in Christ. Death swallowed up in victory. Verse 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then my text today, verse 58. Therefore, because of the victory we have in Christ, because of the gospel, because of the resurrection, because our, we're not going to keep this flesh and blood body forever, because of all this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these wonderful hymns of praise we sang this morning, which points to the victory we have in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for fellowship in the gospel. Thank you for bringing us together today to spend a few moments lifting our eyes off the things of the world to the heavenlies, to where you reign and rule. Thank you, Father, that you have called us unto yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses from all sin. Now, Father, bless us and teach us and convict us and challenge us and motivate us this morning as we spend a few minutes in this verse. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Some verses really stand out. To us, some of us have a favorite verse. This verse has always been uh, special to me. Uh, I was raised in a quite a, a terrible, rough family, and I was not educated, and I was saved later in life. And uh, went to uh, Bible school. And uh, the first year, the deans, after half of the year went by, the deans uh, called me to their office and they, they said, you know, Doug, why are you wasting our time? You know, you'll never make it. You know, we've been discouraged like that, haven't we? And people uh, say things like that to us. And, and then later I was working in the state of Washington, working in eastern Washington with a with a Ministry of Vacation Bible Schools and Prisons and, and uh, uh, speaking in churches and, and working with uh, the farmers and, and uh, during the summer. And uh, the director took me to the Greyhound bus station in Bonacci, catch the bus to go to Canada back to Bible school. And he said, Doug, I, I need to talk to you about something. Do you really want to be a missionary? And I said, oh, yes, I I don't feel I'm qualified, but I really feel God's calling me to be a missionary. He said, forget it. You'll never make it. I don't know anything you can do. And I remember going through those discouraging times. And yet, where do we get our encouragement? From the Word of God. I remember the first time I read this verse. Therefore, 
You know, in spite of all the difficulties and pains and problems and things we go through in life, therefore, my beloved brethren, I've called you to myself through, your son, through my Son, the Lord Jesus. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. Inasmuch as you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. So let's look at this verse this morning, and I, I trust it will encourage you. Whatever you might be going through, old age, sickness, going to the wrong, <laughs> excuse me, personal joke here, <laughs> going to the wrong party, uh, losing a job, whatever it might be. You know, God encourages us from his word. So let's look at this small verse at the end of this great resurrection chapter and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning and encourage us. The title of my message is simply, The Challenge to Finish the Race, Always Abounding in the Work of the Lord. Look at verse 58 again. Therefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So three points. Number one, the argument or the reason. Uh, Number two, the appeal that Paul gives, a response. And number three, the assurance. Number one, the the reason. Uh, The reason for this text is, therefore, because of the great doctrine of the resurrection. An early Christian greeting was, he is risen. And it was always answered by, he is risen indeed. A friend of mine, when I served in India for two years with Operation Mobilization, a friend of mine, uh, Providence was his name, was taken to a, a Hindu temple and, and forced on his knees because he'd been preaching out in the open air. A fanatic group of Hindus had taken him to this Hindu temple and uh, were beating him and forcing him down on, the knees, on his knees in front of these idols. And uh, he kept getting up, and they'd beat him until he fell on his knees again. He kept getting up, and they'd beat him until he fell again. He'd get up again. And finally, somebody said, why aren't you worshiping and honoring our gods? And Providence, even though he was a very shy, timid young man, we used to say he was afraid of mosquitoes on the team. He was not someone you'd look up to for bravery. This man with blood running from his nose, his eye, one eye swollen, some of his teeth gone, He got up and he walked over to one of the idols and said, this idol is made out of wood. He walked over to another one. This idol is made out of glass. This this one's made out of stone. And then he turned with his arms raised and said, I don't serve a God who's made out of wood and stone and glass. I serve the living God, Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead. Therefore, that's why we or to be steadfast and move over because we serve a risen Savior. Remember that we must base our belief and faith in doctrine, the truth of the Word of God. All appeals, all exhortations, all challenges must be, must be based squarely upon some aspect of objective truth as set forth in the authority of the Word of God. Remember that. In other words, when we call upon others to do something for the Lord, we must make clear the basis for that action is in the Word of God. Number two, therefore, my beloved brethren, we must remember again and again that we are members of the same body, children of the same family, soldiers of the same army, and we must move forward together. I read the story of a of a family <clears throat> lived on a farm in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, this was years ago. They didn't have a vehicle. And uh, during the fr- uh, early freeze, they walked into town <clears throat> to do an errand. And they had the little four-year-old boy with them. And to save time, they cut across a field of uh, wheat that had not been harvested because of the early freeze. And the fruit was maybe this high, this tall. And so they finished their errands, whatever they were doing in town, and <clears throat> they turned and, and they went back across the field 
<clears throat> to their farm. Well, they were walking through the field and the father happened to glance back and his son wasn't there. And they began to run all over the place trying to find their son and they knew they had to find him because he would freeze to death in that freezing weather. And they searched and searched around and they couldn't find him so they ran back in the town. They got all the town people. They all ran out into the field trying to find this boy before he died. Finally someone said, we're not going to find him. We, we need to work together. So they all stood in one line and joined their hands and then began to make their way across the field. And they hadn't done this but 10 or 15 minutes and they found the boy. But it was too late. He had died in the freezing weather. And as the father picked up his little lifeless son, he was heard to say, Oh, that we had joined hands earlier. Oh, that we had joined hands earlier. You know, that's the church, isn't it? Remember, friends, we are brothers and sisters, and we must move forward together. We have a fellowship here. We have a church. In the Philippines, we say, we're true believers. And if we're going to accomplish anything in this world for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ and meet the massive needs of our country and our nation and, uh, and the world, we're going to have to move forward together. I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about any of these, you know, leaving the, the, the tenets of the faith and working with just anybody, but those of us who know Christ, we must move forward together. First Peter 4, 8, and above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Notice it says, my beloved brethren. Number two, the, the response. A reason, now the response. The appeal, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Three things here. Number one, be steadfast, firm. First Corinthians 7, 37 says, he who stands Firm in his heart. One who is stable. One whose belief is settled and secure. It's firm. First Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. In other words, get your thinking straight. Standing firm, secure, steadfast in the truth of our text here in First Corinthians 15. In other words, standing firm in the truth of the gospel. People are changed by God through the gospel. We wonder how... How this person can possibly come to God. He, he, they come to, through the gospel. Now, if you're shy like many of us, some of us are not evangelists. But all of us are called to be a witness. Do you witness to others of the gospel? Now, I like to give out gospel tracts. I have a little calendar I had with my name and address on it and email. And I give people a calendar which has the gospel on the other side. And I said, would you like a calendar? By the way, on the other side is something that you might like to read. And if I get a chance, I'll go over it with them. The gospel, very simple. The, the way you talked about, the way of death. There's a way that seems right, but a sin is the way of what? Death. The way of, there's a way of death, but there's a way of the cross. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. And then there's a way of life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. The way of death, the way of the cross, but the way of life. Jesus himself who said, I am the way. You know, a lot of people don't know that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. But if we share the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the resurrected of Christ, the truth of the resurrection of ourselves, now, you may pamper your body as best you can, but it's going to be eaten by worms. It's going to deteriorate. It's going to go back to the dust. But never fear. You're going to be, it's going to rise an imperishable body in heaven. And the truth of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians 3, 8 says, For now we really live if we stand firm in the Lord. So this appeal is to be steadfast. Now, number two, to be immovable. 
That simply means not moved away from. Colossians 1.23 says, Continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. I love Matthew Henry. He's my favorite commentary, commentator. He says, it means not turned aside by others. You know, we're greatly influenced by others, aren't we? And that's why you need to build into your life people of godliness and holiness and, and that you can follow their, their, their teaching. You know, you come to a church like this and, and make sure you're surrounded by people. And, and when you go out into society, people that help you grow in grace and knowledge of Christ. Who are your best friends? Not turned aside by others. Don't let anyone change your mind. Don't move away from the truth. Now, there are, there are five ways to stay in and learn the Word of God. The Word of God is called what? The sword of the Spirit. Now, we hold a sword with a hand, don't we? Five fingers. So, let's look about how we can learn from the Word of God. Number one, we hear the Word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, we need to take notes when we're listening to a message from Pastor Joe. When you go to a Bible study. You remember last week when we had the visitor from KGNW and, and Pastor Joe encouraged us to listen as we're driving to KGNW. Good sermons that help us grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we hear the word of God. Number two, we read the word of God. Revelation 1, 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. First Timothy 4, 13 says, Until I come, give attendance to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Fathers, make sure your children hear you read the word of God. Hear the word of God from your lips. Read it constantly. Read it. Make comments on it. Study it together. But let them hear you. Soak them in the word of God. When you have a meal together, read God's word. You know, you can read the Bible in 60 to 80 hours. That's all it takes. You say, that's a lot of hours. Did you read the news of the two men that played tennis for 120 hours? You heard about the man in Arkansas recently that preached for four days? How many hours is that? 20, 40, 60, 80, 12, 92 hours? Certainly if someone could do that, we could block out 60 to 80 hours through the year to soak ourselves in the Word of God. What about reading it by repetition? Now, if you're a slow reader, you could read Titus. How many chapters does Titus have? Three. Each chapter will take you about six minutes. Six times three is what? 18 minutes. Do you have 18 minutes? You know, for one day, for one day, you know, every day for one month, you read the book of Titus, you're going to know something about Titus. You know, I read something interesting this week. The word sound, you know, people say, is that a sound church? You know, do they have sound teaching there? That word sound comes from the description of the elders in Titus. Sound in faith, holy, godly, truthful. You know, when you read the book of Titus, you soak yourself in the, the basically the guidelines that God would have for us to emulate to be more like God. This is his word. John, you know, our pastor has been preaching faithfully through the book of John. How many chapters in the book of John? 21. Have you thought about repetition, reading the book of John? Now, 21 chapters is kind of hard to read in one day if you're busy, but could you read seven? If you read seven chapters in the book of John every day for one month, and then the next month read the next seven, next month read the next seven, in three months you're going to know something about the book of John by hearing, reading, but number three, Studying. Studying the word of God. Acts 17, 11. The people of Berea, who were not even Christians, they were Jews, when they heard Paul preaching, they received the word with eagerness 
examining the scriptures daily. You know, when you take notes of sermons and something is said, oh, I'm going to study that more. You take a note and you put it in your notes that, the, that Vivian has in our bulletin every week and you write a note there and you say, well, I'm going to study that more. I'm going to see what Matthew Henry says about that. I'm going to see what John MacArthur says about that. Oh, you know, how do, they, how do they break down this passage of Scripture? How can I apply that to my job at Microsoft? As I study the Scripture, how can I apply it to my situation, you know, working on cars? You know, how can I be a better teacher by studying this passage of Scripture, by studying the Word of God? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Do you know how to handle it accurately? You say, well, I'm just a housewife. Oh, oh, this verse is only for men? Oh, but you understand, I, you know, I, I, I'm, just a, I, I'm just a janitor. Oh, this is not for janitors? Oh, I, you know, I, I operate on people every day. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a surgeon. Oh, this is not for surgeons? Oh, I'm retired. This is not for a retiree. You don't understand. I'm getting a little bit old, you know, and it's too, I, it takes a long time for me to, oh, this is not for old people? That God tells us to learn the Word of God, to handle it accurately. Number four, to meditate. Excuse me, number yeah, four, to, to memorize the Word. Psalm 119.11. David prayed, O God, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Do you meditate in the word of God? Now, let me warn you about meditating, about memorizing. If you memorize the word of God, it will keep you awake at night. It will keep you awake at night. But do you think a lack of sleep is, is worth it, that you might know the word of God? And what I mean by that is that you go to bed and you're, you're thinking about a uh, start thinking about a verse that you memorize, and, and it says, love one another as I've loved you, and all of a sudden you start meditating, which is number five, and you think, well, you know, I haven't really shown love for my wife like I should. You know, I remember when I talked to Don last week in Bible study, I wasn't really loving as I, as I answered his question in a Bible study. You know, I, I really haven't shown love to my kids. You know, I've been firm and hard and, and, and rough with them, and and, you know, but I, I justify it because, after all, they're teenagers. And, uh, and, and yet, you know, you, you wait, what am I going to do? And it keep you awake. That's what God wants to do as you memorize the Word of God so you can meditate on it. That's number five. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and when? Day and night. David Describing a godly man said in Psalm 122, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Yes, be steadfast and movable. Now the phrase number three, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Someone said, the way not to go back is to go forward. The way to be steadfast and movable is to be always abounding. The secret to stability is progress. You know, there's a verse in Thessalonians that talks about growing up in the Lord. Are you, are you growing up? Are you progressing in the things of God? Are you? Are you a better Christian than you were this time last year? Are you a better husband, better wife, better, you know, parent, better child, you know, better church member, whatever it might be? Are you, are you growing? Are you progressing in the faith? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always has a thought of endurance. Continuance no matter what. No matter what the circumstance. The life of a consecrated, consistent Christian is characterized by continuance concerning the course commissioned by Christ. A lot of C's. But you get the C in the middle. The life of a consecrated, consistent Christian is characterized by continuance. Continuance in the course commissioned by Christ. In my country, the Philippines, we have a national hero called Jose Rizal. 
But to the common tall, the common man, the national hero is a man by the name of Andres Bonifacio. He was raised in Tondo, the slums of Manila, and became the, the father of the revolution of the Philippines against Spain. And there's really something about Andres Bonifacio. He led 29 battles against the Spanish. The first battle was just a mile away from our home, called the Battle of Pinaglabana. And there's a statue there for him. And, uh, you know, I, I just map out the, you know, he attacked this garrison of a thousand Spanish soldiers with only 300 farmers. And all they had was their, their pitchforks and their holes and their bolos and knives and maybe a few pistols. And they lost the battle. The second battle, a week later, Andres Bonifacio led his men again. They lost it. In the third battle, they lost that one too. He led 29 battles. He lost every single one of them. But he's called the father of the revolution because he never gave up. Boy, convicting to you and I as believers that give up at a moment's notice. Somebody offends us. We're not asked to be on the committee. You know, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're ashamed somehow. Somebody didn't compliment us when he played the organ. You know, we sing a song, whatever it might be. And we give up. I'm not going to do that again. Some say, be sure you're right, then go ahead. But I like the phrase, make sure you're wrong before you quit. Can you imagine what would have happened last weekend if, uh, what's his name, the quarterback of the Seahawks? Wilson? If little Russell... <laughs> Uh, at the five minutes to go, they get, finally get the ball back. He throws another interception. What did most of you do? You turned off the TV. You, you, like I did, I said, Margaret, go ahead and take a nap. We've lost. There's no way. <laughs> and I went into my room and I started studying on this message. You know, and, uh, and so and I, about 15 minutes later, I knew the game was over. I only had five minutes. And, and they, they're going into overtime. What? They're tied. And then I find out, you know, I couldn't watch it then either. I went into my office. I'm so nervous. You get old as I am. You just get all shaky. <laughs> but what would have happened if they would have given up? You know, it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, it's not a spiritual game. You know, that was just a game of football. But, you know, never give up until the bell rings. The motto of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police is, Always get your man. Number two, never shoot first. I think that's a dumb one. (laughs) Always get your man. Never shoot first. But number three, never give up. Never give up. I always like to, I always like the military. By the way, when you see a military man or a soldier or a policeman and you're in the area and you walk by them, Stop and tap him on the shoulder and say, you know, I go to Living Hope Bible Church. I'm a Christian. We pray for you. My wife and I, we pray for you. Thank you for your service. You do that. But I always liked the military. When I was 12 years of age, I didn't have parental influence. And, and I went to a pawn shop and bought a gun. A six-shooter and a fast-draw holster at 12. And I came really good with that gun. Oh, I could draw. I could put a bottle like this and throw it and draw it and shoot it out. It was three feet away from me. I was good with a gun. It's really interesting. That's the only thing I have to brag about. (laughs) (laughs) And the city of Indio, can you imagine doing this today? The city of Indio, California hired me at the age of 13 to shoot the influx of pigeons that were destroying much of the city, the lights and so on. They gave me a 410 shotgun. Now, I hope the kid, don't tell your kids this, will you? A 410 shotgun and a pistol, buckshot with pistol, to shoot pigeons. And I shot pigeons and got paid for it. So doing all that practice, I got pretty good with a, a gun, a rifle. So when I was 14, I joined the California Cadet Corps, which is a branch in high school of the 
Reserve Officers Training Corps of the college. And uh, I traveled with a rifle team throughout California, firing, shooting in these contests. And I remember when we went to Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, uh, you know, with all these Marines. And they trying to court us to join the Marines, especially they wanted me to be. They made a movie this year called The American Sniper. You know, that's what I wanted to do. So I've always liked the military. But you, I, thought, I thought I was pretty good with a gun. I'd make a good soldier. Until I read this in a military book. Not the least of the qualities of good soldiers is their ability to endure. Notice that? Endure. Bravery, military knowledge, and marksmanship, these things have their place in the making of a soldier, but they are nothing if the man cannot endure the unendurable. You see that? So we may, we may as Christians talk the talk, but do we walk the walk in steadfast endurance of living the life of Christ? Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Setting your hand to the plow, Jesus said, and not looking Always now, the phrase always abounding. This simply means to excel. Abounding, serving the Lord with enthusiasm. Many Christians, instead of excelling in abounding, are bound up. They're bound up in things such as sports, or people, or habits. They're bound up with your family. How many of you have made your family your God? You worship your kids. Do you? Your kids are idle. You bound up with that. Are you bound? Are you, are you bound up in your culture? You know, I'm from the South. I'm from Texas. Well, I'm Chinese. Oh, you don't understand. I, my culture is Filipino. You know, whatever it might be. Are you bound up with this in habits, and you bound up in a job and position. Circumstances and your fear and feelings and anger and anxiety. You're bound up with your resentment. You're bound up in sin. And instead of the habit, sin being under control, we are its prisoner. My heroes, two of my heroes are Pastor Xi from China, the greatest biography I've ever read. Pastor Xi, H-S-I. But there's another Chinese hero of mine. His name was John, J-O-H-N, John. His last name was Sung, S-U-N-G. John Sung was a great evangelist in the 1930s. In fact, you go to Indonesia, the Philippines, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, and China, all these places John Sung would go and preach the gospel. And all the Chinese churches in those countries Trace their roots of growth back to the ministry of John Soon. Well, when John Soon came to Manila, I went to the place where he preached, downtown where the Chinese evangelical church is. Huge church. And out in the open there, before that church was built, this was years ago, they had a big open lot there. And they invited all the students in Chinatown, in Manila, Invite all the Chinese to come and hear John Soon. And they built a, a big platform, maybe as big as this up here. Big platform so he could stand. And they had no microphone, and he would just bellow out with his voice the gospel. And all the Chinese Christian women wanted to really decorate this platform. And they put potted plants all around the platform. Well, the night that John Soon was preaching, the second or third night... He was preaching on pulling sin up by the roots. Now, he was a great dramatic preacher. And as he preached in his excitement, you need to pull up the sin of lust. And he grabbed one of these potted plants and pulled it, pull, pull it out and threw it out into the crowd. You need to grab, to deal with the, the pull up covetousness. And he grabbed another plant, pull it out by the roots. And pretty soon, covetousness was lying out there, and lust was lying out there, and lying, and thievery, and so forth. 
The next night, they had no potted plants on the platform. <laughs> but isn't that what we're to do? Many of us are bound up in sin like the soldier who captured one of the enemy. He yelled out to the captain, Captain, I've captured a prisoner. Well, the captain said, well, bring him in. The answer, soldier answered, well, I can't. Well, why not? Well, my prisoner won't come. So the captain said, well, you come. And the man answered, well, I can't. Why not? My prisoner won't let me. You know, that's the way many of us are. Our prisoner, our lust or our covetousness or our selfishness or whatever it might be. Our anger, instead of pulling by the roots, it's held us as a prisoner. Not bound up, but excelling like another soldier, an officer who discovered that his small group of men were surrounded by the enemy. So he called out to his men, men, we're surrounded by the enemy. Don't let any of them escape. You know, we're surrounded by the enemy, aren't we? You know, we come sometimes to church moaning and groaning. Oh, how rough it is at Microsoft. How they don't understand me when I'm, you know, my job, whatever it might be. You know, and we moan and groan. Oh, look at the terrible policies of our government, and our president, of our senator, our mayor. And so we're surrounded by them. Well, what should we do about this? The only way they're going to change is through the truth of the gospel. And our enemy, we must go after them with the God. We're, they're surrounded. We have untold opportunities for ministry. So let's go after them. You know, you move to Manila. 20 million people. Sure, there's a church that was spoken of 8,000 and 10,000, 15,000, 50,000. But you still got 95% of the people who do not know Christ. You got 100,000 kids on the street with no mother and father. You, you, go, to, you go to Africa, you go to Zambia, there's a million. 10% of the population has been orphaned because of AIDS. 10 million throughout the country. You, you, go, to, you go to Manila, you work with the poor, 44 40% live in shacks and poverty. They're so poor that I was in McDonald's the day before Christmas. And there was a man in front of me. Had three little kids with him. And he was in front of me buying some french fries. And he had a ragged shirt on. He had no shoes. He had raggedy, holy shorts. And uh, here's this man, maybe 30. These are probably his, his, his little kids, three little girls. And they were so excited. And I said to him, in their excitement, I said, Sir, are you having a good Christmas? Because they celebrate Christmas for three months. I said, Sir, are you having a good Christmas? And he said, looked at me and said, Oh, yes. He said, This is Christmas. And I said, What do you mean? He said, This is Christmas. And he pointed at the French fries he had just purchased as a Christmas present for his kids. That was the only thing he had. This is Christmas. And I, I did what you did. <laughs> you know, I don't have that much money, but I reached in my pocket, took out a big bill, shoved it in the pocket with a gospel track, and I said, sir, buy a big meal for your kids for Christmas. You'd have done the same thing. What an opportunity we have in ministry. You know, we have so much you know, when people only have three bags of french fries, what an opportunity to give them the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the gospel. We're surrounded by the enemy. Let's not let one of them escape. I must rush, always abounding. How? In the work of the Lord. Not our work, but God's work. Whatever you do in word or deed, we read in Colossians, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, excuse me, I can't read. Colossians 1, 10 says, So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. You know what this means? The work of the Lord is whatever he has you doing. You know, you may feel very insignificant in the job that you have. 
But God has you there. God, that's God's work for you. God wants to make a difference for the glory of God in the work that you're doing, wherever it might be. Whatever circumstance you may find yourself in. God puts you there. That you might walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. That you might glorify his name. Whether you're a teacher or a bus driver or a housewife or a nurse or a homeschooler or a researcher or a doctor or an IT uh, expert or a professor in professional football or a tennis player or whatever it might be. God has you there for his glory. And secondly, God's work is fulfilling his will, which are his commandments, his teaching. God spoke of the house built on the sand and on the one on the rock. Matthew 7, 24, he said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them, does them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Luke 6, 46 says, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The man or woman who builds his house on a solid foundation is one who only, not only hears the words of the Lord, but does them. Obedience has nothing to do with whether you like it or not, or it feels good or not. We don't live a life of feelings. We live by faith and obedience. James 1.22 said, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So what are some of the teachings of the word of God? The commands of the word. Write the command to love one another as I have loved you. You know, this bothers me because we talk a lot about love. But do we really love one another? That we will sacrifice as Christ sacrificed himself for us by sacrificing for others. You know, last night I was with John and Wendy at this uh, hot pot festival. Man, it was good. We had such a good time of fellowship. During the conversation, I heard that little Noah that we all love. that comes up and hugs you. We all love little Noah. Little Noah is a miracle baby. He was in the hospital three months. The bill came to over a million dollars. Just like, you know, Vicky's. million bucks. You know, praise God for insurance. But you know, I thought later last night when I couldn't sleep, I thought about that. What if they didn't have insurance? What if they didn't? Would we sacrifice to give in love for John and Wendy and little Noah that we would do everything we could to pay that bill for the glory of God? I thought of a friend of ours who died of cancer in High Rock Church in Manila. As he was going through cancer treatment, uh, he lost everything, lost his house, lost everything. You know what the church did? The church is not a rich church. They don't have insurance like we have here. They had garage sales. People sold their cars. People sold their toys. People sold their hobby. That they People went on eBay and sold. They did everything they could to help them pay that bill. You know, I thought of that. I thought, do we love one another like that? Is that how we should love? What about the command to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you? Think for a moment right now, someone that really offended you, you know, embarrassed you, treated you wrongly, stole from you, you know, slandered you, uh, didn't uh, teach you, uh, what they didn't, you weren't their favorite uh, pupil in school. Uh, they didn't give you a chance to play first string on the football team. And all these years you've had this resentment of that person. Have you forgiven them? You know, Scripture doesn't say you have to Forgive your wife only if she asks you to forgive her. That's not what this says. It's forgive others, Jesus said, as I have forgiven you. Are you a forgiving person? Have you forgiven everybody? You're teenagers. You know, you get so upset at your parents. You get angry because they don't take you to Baskin and Robbins. Or they don't let you eat the junk food at McDonald's like the other kids get to eat. And so you build up a resentment. You know, forgive your parents. They're not perfect. You know, someday they may take you to McDonald's. But that's beside the point. The point is, are we forgiving people? What about the command to abstain from every appearance of 
form of evil. How do you dress? You dress modestly. What about the books that you read? What about the films that you see? The TV shows? You know, I, I'm reluctant to watch the Super Bowl with other people because of all the ads, which many of them have to do with sex. I like to control the, like all men do, you know, the remote control. I like to switch the channel. Not just mute, but switch the channel. And they're going to have some real filthy ones this year. They're already talking about them. You say, well, don't be such a prude. Oh, really? Do you know the world holds us up to a bigger standard than we do? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed you do the slightest little thing that, that might be off, you know, and the people say, I thought you were a Christian. What are you looking at that TV ad for? What are you looking at that magazine article? What, what are you reading that book for? You read, you go there. You know, it's just something interesting, isn't it? I'm saying from every appearance of me, do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's pleasure and passion. Uh, the lust of the eyes, that's possessions. What, what we have. You know, I, I like cars. I've always had junk cars, and somebody bought us a car last year. But, but it, I have a car. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice car, but I see someone else with a nicer one. Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you feel when somebody has a, 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 a Rolex and all you have is a Timex? You know, possessions. You know, they got the latest in the iPod or the iPad. Or the Microsoft new whatever gimmick might be. And you don't have it yet. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's position. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. What about the command? This is interesting. To encourage one another and build up one another. See, that's conversely of our text today. Because you and I are to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter whether we get encouragement or not. But conversely, you and I, as Christians, are to constantly encourage one another. You know, thank you, brother. I've always been, uh, it's been a blessing the way you, 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 you take care of your kids. And, but you always seem so kind to your wife. You know, that's a testimony to me. That, that, I think that would encourage him. You know, thank you, Nate, for the way you take care of uh, the Christians of the, and so forth. I, that, well, that would encourage him, but it would encourage me. And even given the encouragement. But if they don't get encouraged, they're still supposed to do this, but our job is to encourage one another. To encourage. Uh, thank you for playing that hymn today before church. My mother used to sing that, and it really blessed me. Thank you for the way you do that. Thank you for the way you lead music, and you take, you take pains to put things together. Thank you for preaching, Pastor Joe, for faithfully teaching the Word of God. Thank you, those of you. Thank you, Janet, for the way you take care of us every week in feeding. By the way, I really like... See, I, I travel a lot of churches. This is unique. You know what a lot of pastors tell me after church? They can't get their people to fellowship. As soon as 12 o'clock comes, he has to run back to the door and shake hands because they're out the door. They're gone. And Sunday's the only time he has to see them. I said, brother, have you ever thought of having a meal after church? Oh, really? What do you mean? And I tell them about living hope. You know, we can come, and the kids don't want to go. They, they get something to eat right away and so forth. And we can fellowship together. And still, you know, and, you know, the early church ate together all the time. Do we encourage people who cook for us every week and wash the dishes? Help the weak, be patient with all men. What about the command to pure religion is to care for orphans and widows in their distress? You know, Nate, it was really a, a blessing to us to see you take care of these three little orphan grandkids of yours. What a testimony that was to us. Thank you for some of you, the way you take care of your elderly parents, widows and widowers. 
It's a testimony. Do we take care of other orphans? There's 143 million orphans in the world today. And you only have two kids? Have you thought about adopting more? You only have three or four? You know, the regret that my wife and I had, we only adopted two. Why didn't we adopt ten? Oh, yeah, we would have had a lot of problems. Sure. So what? Isn't it a lot better for an orphan with difficulties, if they have difficulties, to be in a Christian home than out in the world with non-Christian families? Have you thought of that? To bring them to a church like Living Hope? 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Don Chen and I were having breakfast recently, and, and I'm doing a study on the marks, the characteristics of a Christian. You know, what are the, what, when people look at, think of a Christian, what are, the, what, are the, what are the basic things they think about? And I said, Don, what do you think the marks of a Christian are? And right away he said, we should wear our Christianity on our sleeve. Have you heard that phrase? Wearing, oh, he wears his feelings on his sleeve. Where'd that come from? Well, in the early days, when the knights in shining armor would uh, have their uh, games, and they would battle each other with horses and lances and swords and so forth, and they would just uh, they'd do the game, show off their skills and what they could do militarily. Well, crowds would gather to watch these knights do these battles, these mock battles with each other. And the knights would being what knights, you know, they would look in the crowd and they would see that lovely lady that they really like watching them. And so the knight on his horse would go right over to the crowd and put his lance out towards the lady. And she, all bashful and everything, would put her scarf on the end of the lance or a ribbon so you see, you see Don Chin on his, the night on a horse. We had to help him get up there. <laughs> you know, and we got him on the horse. And he rides over the crowd and he sees this lovely lady by the name of May. And he wants her to know that he really likes her. So he puts his lance out or he puts his sword towards her. And she, you know, reciprocating her. Accepting his, 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 his feelings towards her, puts her, her yellow scarf or her yellow ribbon on the end of his lance or sword. And then he takes that ribbon, slides it down his lance or sword, he ties it on his sleeve. So as Don's out there battling Andrew, <laughs> and Andrew has got a red scarf that he saw, that he got from Shirley, you know. <laughs> And then you see all these other things. They know they're battling in honor of the one that they, they love. And Shakespeare later used the phrase that he wore his heart on his sleeve. So in other words, they knew, he knew his feelings. He knew where his heart lay. And I read this last week in a secular book. Believe this, this is a secular book. Of, of any person, any class of society, a Christian should wear their religion on their sleeves. In other words, the people of the world should know that we are followers of Christ. Do you wear your Christianity on your sleeve? Marnie and Tim sent out a Christmas letter this year. Did you notice the bottom of the letter? Marnie put these words. Six evidence of a Christian. He's a good check for all of us, he said. Number one, a growing affection and need for Jesus. Do people see that in you? Uh, number two, a heightened understanding of the truth of Scripture. In order to read and study the Bible. Number three, an increased kindness and, and, and selflessness. 
Number four, a greater awareness and distaste for sin. Number five, a noticeable desire to obey the commands of Scripture. Number six, a compassion for others and a desire and sense of responsibility to share the gospel. Let me quickly go to my last point. Argument, the appeal, number three, assurance. Look at that phrase, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Toil, this is hard work to the point of fatigue, of exhaustion. John 6, 9, 4, we must work as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work any longer. Not only will you hear, enter thou into the joy of the Lord, but also, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let me close. Forty years ago, over 40, almost 45 years ago, Margaret and I were studying Tagalog in a southern part of the Philippines on an island. And uh, 20,000 people came to our little town called Calapan and for a, 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 a sports meet, a track meet. And uh, all kinds of Olympic type. They were tra- they're training, many of them were training to go to the Olympics. And uh, the last day they had the mile race. And everybody came to that race, 20,000 people in the stands, because they wanted to see three special runners from the Luzon province. So it was a province of the Louisiana. And uh, they were all wanted to see them. There were these three men, and they had their white uniforms with purple stripes and the best shoes. I mean, the government was really working with these three to train them. And they were running in this race. But because it was a, it was a, uh, a track meet of many provinces, like counties, the high schools had sent their best runners. And there was a, one little runner. They all had uniforms on. But there's one runner that ran out just at the last moment, got in line. Found out later he was from Occidental Mindoro. That was a little no-place, backwoods place in the Philippines. Nothing came from Occidental Mindoro. But they asked this little boy to run in the race. He was a 14-year-old high school boy because he was the fastest one in school. And so everybody kind of laughed at him when he ran out because he didn't have a shirt on. He just had on gym shorts, and he had no shoes. He ran barefoot. And, and to a Filipino, I look kind of, oh, what's he doing out there? Well, the race started. Gun went off, and these 15 runners took off. And this little boy, 14 years old, just left everybody in the dust. I mean, he just took off running. Uh, But he didn't realize, he forgot that he was running a mile, not a 100-yard dash. So even though he ran off and left everybody, after about two or 300 yards, man, he ran out of steam. And he started slowing down. He wasn't used to running a mile. But he knew he had to go around the track four times. So he gets halfway around, and all the other people are starting to pass him. So when he came around in front of the stands the first time, everybody else was so far ahead of him, people in the stands begin to mock him. Get off the track. What are you doing? This is embarrassing. But the little boy continued to run. Now, that's something in the Philippines, because when people, especially 20,000 people, are telling you to get off the track, You're no good. What are you doing? You're an embarrassment. Get out of the way. You would think he would get off the track. He'd kind of run down to the end, kind of went off and go and hide his head in shame. But you know, he kept running. And the other people, they come running around, and he comes running around. And they lapped him. They ran. They passed him again. When he came in front of the people started mocking him the second time. Again, the second time. Get off the track. You're embarrassing. And then the race was ended. These three men, they crossed the finish line about the same time. And it was quite an exciting thing. And people got up to leave because they saw these three runners who they came to see. And this little, little boy was coming down the track again. And all the stands were leaving, walking away. And they were walking away. And he's walking down the track. They expected him to stop. Why? Because the race was over. But he kept going. And people, it's really interesting. I was there. People stopped mocking. And they said, what are you doing? Don't you understand the race is over? 
get off the track. Come on, you're hurting yourself. And everybody went and sat down again. And then he came down the third time. And on the third time, they saw that he was still going. The race was over, you know, 10 minutes before, and he's still running. And all of a sudden, the people in the stands kept, started yelling, Keep going. <laughs> you can do it. And people started crying. They thought he was going to drop. People ran out of the stands and started running next to him. Come on, you can do it. And he runs around and he staggered across the finish line. When he staggered across the finish line, the band started p- playing. 20,000 people cheered. They picked him up on their shoulders. They took him around. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And when they asked the little boy why he continued to run, he said this, my father taught me to finish whatever I started so I could not give up and quit. The race was not over yet. The race for me was not over yet. So you might be embarrassed, but don't give up. You might be slow, but don't give up. You might have no job, but don't give up. You might uh, have, you might be tired, but don't give up. You might be last, you might be sick, you may have no money, you may have no house, but don't give up. You may be old, you may be discouraged, you may have few friends, you may have no wife or husband or hardly any family. In fact, you may be old and you may die soon. But don't give up because you're not dead yet. Remember, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. The race is not over yet. So keep going. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Inasmuch as you know that your labor is never in vain in the Lord. So do not give Father, thank you, for, thank you for this verse that you gave at the end of this great chapter. Thank you, Father, for telling us through Apostle Paul's writing. Father, some of us have really failed. We've been so discouraged. Things that we've tried in life have not worked. But, Father, you've called us to the great task of glorifying your name. Father, may I live for your glory in all that we do, all that I do. Father, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.